Hello and welcome to Cladding Matters, the podcast where we discuss building safety, legislation and solutions that focus on cladding remediation, while showcasing the intelligent FS culture of humility, wit and passion for continuous improvement that makes Britain's building safe and sustainable. During our first ever podcast, we heard from Adam Gallagher talking about how recruitment is one of the biggest challenges we face. And one of the ways in which we attempt to address this is via our relationship with the University of Salford. But long before we had any kind of formal relationship with Salford University, Damien Campbell, a quantity surveyor student, came to join the team. Thanks for joining us today, Damien. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, before we get started, if you haven't already got a copy of our Golden Thread Analysis Checklist, your guide to being compliant with the BSA Golden Thread, visit our website at intelligent-fs.com to get yours. And do please contact us if you would like to be a guest on this show, because together we can make Britain's buildings safe and sustainable. So welcome to the show, Damien. To get us started, can you talk us through what made you choose to become a quantity surveyor in the first place? Yeah, well, it was a combination of things, really. Um, I was in full-time work in a different industry. I worked in a pharmaceutical factory, manufacturing medicine, uh, and it was, it was a good job it was good getting paid every week I could have easily settled there there was opportunity for me to move up but it wasn't something that I really really aspired to do um, also the, the role that I was at it didn't require any qualifications or any experience really it was just a matter of coming in and then in-house training um, so for me I always wanted to I was never really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I always wanted to be qualified for something. I always wanted to have something behind me that that I have trained for this job specifically. Um, so I just desired a career change, really. That's how, how it began. I was looking into different things. It wasn't necessarily just construction. Um, but after looking about I seen I came across an article that there was actually a shortage of quantity surveyors. I looked into the job role. Um, the only construction experience I had was um, instead of an A-level, I did a B-Tech alternative for construction, and I enjoyed that, but that was the only experience I had. So I looked into a bit more. Um, I also wanted to sort of move away from home, the small town. I wanted to go experience <laughs> something different. So I looked around the northwest of England. I knew, I knew it pretty well. I've been here plenty of times before I moved. Um, and seeing that Salford did quantity surveying course, I offered it, and I thought, just thought, I'll go for it, and then I'll get the course, I'll get my degree. It's something I don't have. If it if I don't like it, if I don't enjoy it, so be it. If I've got something behind me, and here we are today. So, what was the article? Uh, where was the article published? It was. I think it was in the south of Ireland, but there was. It was just something about how there was a shortage in the construction industry for quantities of air specifically. Um, I think for my generation, what sort of put me off going into construction when I left school initially, which was nearly about nine, ten years ago now, um, was that it was all, everyone should go into computers, everyone should go into IT because that's where the money is. Construction's not what it used to be, but it was all false. It was just false narrative. Um, so I think it was just people, students were coming leaving school and just going down a different route. Um, that's my belief anyway. Um, but yeah, that's it's just seen an article and there was a shortage, so I just looked into it a bit more, what was actually involved in the job role. And, and did you originally start the course full-time? 
Yeah. So did you go to Salford, find a flat apartment, yes, yeah, so, Paul's residence, whatever? Um, I just went on the course, went what Salford had offered. There's a few different ones, but I just, the most common one is three years full time. And so that's what I had applied for. Um, I thought, as I don't, didn't really know, have any previous construction experience or anything, I thought the full time would be the best one for me to go into initially. Um, so I did about a year and a half in the full time and I realised I was picking things up pretty quickly. Um, any new modules or anything that come up, I was picking up pretty quickly. So I thought the next step to challenge me, my next experience should be in the industry. So typically students would do the two years full time um, then they have an optional placement year where they can just go out in industry full time for a year and come back and do their final year full time. So it would take four years altogether to do the course. Um, so that was one option to me. And but I, then I just looked into I was, what I didn't want to do. So I was working in retail part time. Obviously, you need some sort of income when you're a student. Um, so I was doing that part time. I didn't want to go and work in industry for a year and then come back to study for a year and have to find another part-time job. So I looked into ways that could possibly stay in the industry for the whole time that I was studying um, and asked the question to the university, was it possible to switch part-time and the potential that I got a job in the industry and they could cater for four days working and one day at university. Um, so t- talk me through though the the kind of the the decision making process what what was behind it so i'm i'm really keen to understand you're at university you're 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 learning right you're going to get that degree fastest if you stay in full time university yeah. but there's a reason why you then wanted to switch and 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 mix it up with um work experience as well what what what's, what's going through your mind what what did you actually think of were the benefits and, and, and that balance you know yeah it was initially just doing the three years and getting the degree that was my priority initially because I was going to university sort of a later age than most that are on the course um, I sort of had the idea to get the degree and then go into industry and work from there but um, as I got into the second year it was like th- the more I realised how much the experience would benefit me I tended multiple uh, careers fairs that the university had put on and often they had students or just graduates who would come on and give their experiences and what they've found beneficial of getting in industry as soon as they can and the more that I spoke to these people or heard stories from these people the more I realised how beneficial it was to get into the industry while you're studying or yeah, just as soon as you can, really. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. And and how was it received by the university? Obviously, you said you had to go to them and have the discussion. Was this something that was an option? But yeah. how, how did they... It, it, was it, oh, bloody, you know, pain in the arse, he's coming asking me this? Or, you know, what, what, were they welcoming? Or you, no, what was I, their reaction? I just asked the question, just was it possible in the first place before anything even come up? And yeah, they were, they were great. They explained to me how it's possible, what I should expect moving forward. Um, yeah, just basically a timeline of how things would change compared to the course I was on and if I was to make the switch to part-time. So yeah, they were very welcoming. Yeah, I think, to be fair to the university, they are very, they, they really do try and push students to get real-life experience. So yeah, they were very helpful for me, yeah. And then in terms of 
where you were living or how you were living? What, what, what was the impact of going from full-time university into uh, very part-time, one day a week, and, and the rest of the time uh, in, in work? Yeah, um, it wasn't much of an impact, really. Um, I moved over here with my girlfriend. She's been working full-time since we came here. So, um, And I don't get it now because I'm part-time, but when you're a full-time student, you get your student loans and... I was working part time as well, so the inc the income wasn't really an issue. Um, rent and stuff was sorted, um, but yeah, I was still I was at uni two or three days a week. I was still working part time, so nothing really changed that way. Okay, okay, um, and then on the flip side, now you've you've obviously um, been with us a while now, and and what do you think the impact is in terms of your your experience, your capability? What 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 what's been the benefits that have been Realise, or, or or have they, or have they not? Um, no, they definitely have. I think the main difference is reading something in a book to seeing it in real life is just a completely different mindset. Then you realise how things actually work, what's expected, um, and then on the flip side as well, for considering still in university, like applying things that I've experienced within the year into studies is it's definitely going hand in hand with each other. Both of them have the workplace and the studying has benefited the other in different ways. And and with hindsight, we we know the, the, the power of hindsight. If you could go back and do anything of the process differently, what what what, what would you do differently if if anything? Um I don't think I would do anything different really. I'm glad that I've realised that the the possibility of switching to part time is a thing because it's not very common. It's not really what students do. Um, I think for me to get two years experience within the same time frame as doing a placement and going back for a year is very beneficial and then at the same time I think doing two years full time to give me a proper understanding of the job role of what's expected in construction I think it all worked out pretty well for me I think I've, I've made the right choices Okay, fantastic and then I guess the, the, the other bit I think people might be interested in is is how did you go about finding the role that you've now got here? So what, yeah. what, what, what did that whole process look like? Well, it, it's not, because it's not that common, it's not really, there's no jobs advertised for want a student for four days a week. No, that's not, it's not really. Some job descriptions would say, you know, they might cater for it. But the priority for me was just to get experience. It wasn't, it didn't have to be the switch to part-time. It was um, if I had to do the placement year and return back full time for the year, I would have happily done it. Um, but like I said, the experience was key. So it was just a matter. I was just applying for jobs that were out there. I was applying for placement roles. I was applying for graduate roles. I was just getting my name out there to companies. Um, I was attending careers fairs at the university just to, to again just to get my name out. Um, yeah, and then I got the. Intelligent FS had actually advertised the job on Salford Advantage, which is a in-house careers website on Salford University. Um, it was actually for a graduate quantity surveyor. I sat my CV in anyway. I got a, they asked me to come in for an interview, and it was just then I just asked the question, you know, because at that point I knew it was possible to switch part time. I just asked the question, would they be able to cater for me to work four days a week and then they release back to university? And to be fair to Tony and Rob, who took my interview that day, there was no questions asked. There was no, oh, what's the impact on us going to be? I was just very happy to hear for it, so very grateful for that. 
Fantastic. Okay. And 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 how much is left now on your course? So, so what's what's the remainder of that course look like? So I've done one year of the part time now. So I've got one more year to do. So it's essentially it's final year over two years, which I'm halfway through. Um, so this time next year. Oh, so this time next year you've yeah. you fully qualified. Finally. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, so, so before we move on, um, don't forget, you can follow us on LinkedIn for As They Happen updates throughout the week. Just search for Intelligent FS or look out for the keywords hashtag cladding remediation, hashtag FRAEW and hashtag golden thread, working together to make Britain's buildings safe and sustainable. But each module comes with aims and objectives for what you will basically come across throughout that module um, so these are these do tend to be tech directly related to British standards or legislation or so it really is a push on competency and these basically aims are they're taught in a through a book through sure. typical education but they are assessed in a, a real life scenario a real life project um, just to try and test your competency in that real life situation and not just what you can read off a book on what you know. And so do you use real life situations that you're involved in here as part of that or, or do they kind of give you something that you have to work on separately? Some of them are just made up but to be a real life scenario, some of them are past projects or some of them are projects which are in design phase or it, 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 it tends to differ but it can be as real life as possible pretty much. Okay, so I did ask you to have a look at one of the PASs um, as part of this process. So um, so when you're considering the competence framework for principal contractors specifically, which is what we are, um, as outlined in the PAS 8672, um, how they should, I'm, I'm keen to understand uh, sort of what's your view uh, as somebody joining the industry fresh on where they should be taught or, or, or should they indeed be taught or how they should be incorporated into day-to-day -day life, I suppose. If we start with that, and then and how that relates directly to your role um, as a quantity surveyor, yeah, well, it definitely should be taught. I think you're right in the industry of the well-seasoned professions. I feel like probably taught differently than the likes of myself would be. Um, I think that's because these standards have developed obviously through time. But when you look, when you look into this, the, the paths, um, the responsibilities that each person has, it's it's common sense really. The responsibility for everyone's safety is just a no-brainer. In terms of a quantity surveyor specifically, obviously the responsibility is to ensure that procurement, pricing, contracts don't impact the safety of anyone, and particularly those directly involved with the, the building, the end, the end user. So, so yes, that's basically it as a quantity surveyor perspective, but the same behaviors and responsibilities are on everyone's shoulders really well, although your duty will be different depending on what job role you, you are carrying out the behaviour and how you carry things out should be should be the same and it comes down to really the respect you have honesty for people so it works yeah, it's across the board it's not just quantities of errors that should have that respect obviously the way the specific job role is different yeah but the, the behaviour should be the same yeah I guess from our point of view um, PAS 8672 that, that uh, principal contract a bit really impacts the project managers and the, and the, yeah, and the site, site managers right um, is that 
do you think that should differ the, the way it's implemented for those hands-on roles? Uh, I mean, obviously, some of those guys have been there quite a while. You know, they're, 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 you know, there's there's an awful lot of uh, experience in the team, and and obviously, certainly, the most recent set of passes are, are uh, that they've come about more recently, the last sort of um, three or four years. Um, how do you think that they should be implemented, or for those guys specifically? Do you think it should be done any differently? In terms of training, yeah, I mean, obviously, you're, you're you've got you've got your one day a week at university, and obviously, you're you're gaining an awful lot of knowledge, particularly new, right? You know, they'll be they'll be making sure that you're fully up to date with the latest everything as part of that process. Yeah. Um, what's your view on how that should happen? from a day-to-day basis on making sure that um, skebs in particular uh, and, and I'm definitely thinking more around behaviours um, uh, but you know, how, how should that be implemented with those roles that are particularly on the spot you know and, and accountable yeah. on site I think it's a mixture of the responsibility of the overall contractor or company whoever it is but also as a personal responsibility there to to know your duty to know what your responsibility is Um so if if you're for example a project manager on a site you should know that the the actions taken on site the building methods taken on site the logistics set up on site that this should not impact the safety of anyone so that is your own personal responsibility to to adhere to the, the to the paths um but i think the company also has a responsibility to ensure that their employees are aware um of of their responsibilities I think that Intelligent FS are a very good example of that because our company values sort of co- correlate with what Paz is. It's all about honesty and integrity and um, responsibility, taking responsibility. So, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both. It's a bit of personal responsibility, having pride in your job, um, knowing what your duty is, and then the company ensuring that they, their employees are as well and they have employed the right people. Okay. So if, if if we're looking at the the um, I guess the the ethical and behavioural side of it specifically, it, we, we've got a specific requirement to embed ethical and and good behaviour in in everything we do, and and I'm quite keen to understand from your point of view, you know, as a young person coming into the industry, when when you hear somebody say, you know, you've got a responsibility to embed ethical behaviour in everything that you do, what, what does that actually mean to you? Yeah, um, for for me, it's actually quite refreshing to hear that from a company because coming into the industry as an outsider, you have this narrative that's portrayed that construction is uh, uh, what's the words? Construction is an industry that struggles to keep on top. Of, <laughs> you can say it, it's all right. Yeah, it's it's, it's not the most uh, PC in yeah. this industry, is it? Yeah, generally, right? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> so you coming into the industry as as a newbie, sort of, you may have the worry that um, that the ethics aren't carried out correctly, or there's no, the competency isn't up to standard. So to hear companies and it being. Um, posted around the industry that these things need to improve it it is quite refreshing so yeah yeah i, th- I think the industry's always had to do it but they, but they typically, typically yeah. does they don't do it right yeah. and and that's kind of been 
reinforced, I think, you know, with the latest set of uh, legislations and, and guidance that have come out, it's a, it's a real push to make sure that you do it. Um, and, and part of these, you know, these podcasts and things that, that, that we're doing, we're really keen to make sure we're at the cutting edge of that and we are implementing it and, and we're, we're doing it as well as we possibly can. So making sure that we understand the expectation of somebody young in the business. I mean, Sam's what, 21? 21, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Rob's 71. So you can say we've got a pretty big range of, yeah. of, of, of staff members who are uh, um, going to have different views on what ethical behavior is. Uh, so it's really, really important that we make sure that we, we embed that in the business. Um, I, I guess following on from that, making sure that there's a, there's a, a culture of safety in the business. Again, how, how does that what does that mean to you? How do you think that that's implemented here? Um, how do you think that translates? Does that come across as you expect or, or as you think it should? Yeah, it's clear that it's a key priority for the company. I think the work that we carry out as well in the cloud remediation and the fire compartmentalization is an example of how the industry has sort of failed in the past through obviously the, the Grenfell disaster, which is unfortunate, which has led to all these buildings requiring the work which we are carrying out currently. I think there's clear that it shows a clear image of where the industry had to improve and why it's necessary for all of these to be implemented now at this stage. Um probably too late, but well it's never too late, but probably later than it should have been. But yeah, I think that's the key indicator of why there have been issues in the, the industry in the past. So we've talked about it a, a, a bit so far I know you've you've um, d- made a point of reading up on the PASIs and you, you know how we operate here imagine now you've got, you've got a, a completely clean sheet of paper um, how what do you think would be the best way of making sure that we and everybody achieves a core level of competence within the construction industry if you had the power to, to implement something yeah. is what's there good enough and it just needs implementing is um or would would you would you go about it in a different way what, what's your view yeah no, i think what's there is good is implementing it that is is the issue that has uh, proven to be the issue like you said it always has been the, the industry always has try and push this on onto the workers within the industry but it is implementing it it is i think it comes through actions and it's doing every little task with competency and creating habits and having pride in everything you do yeah, so like I said, it, it is there. It's just implementing it in every task you do in, in everyday life. You can't, don't think you can be competent when you want to be. I think that's where these risks really arise from. Um, cutting corners when you want to and then being fully compliant when you want to. It just doesn't work. It's just a recipe for disaster, really. Um, yeah, so it's just making sure that you do follow the necessary requirements at all stages, not just when it's comfortable and when it suits. Yeah, no, fantastic. Okay, um, it's worth saying that um, that there's no real one answer um, that we found because obviously new joiners um, to the business come with all manner of backgrounds. Um, we've recruited many people with the experience of delivering tr- projects over the years, but who lack the formal qualifications to underpin that experience. Um, uh, in which case, we typically recruit them on the basis that you know they'll they'll come in and they'll need to get those qualifications as part 
part of the first few months of joining the of joining the business. Um, then we've got people like yourself uh, who join the business to learn, um, gain experience, achieve formal qualifications using uh, an independently recognised uh, route, such as the University of Salford in your case. Um, so I think we're just about coming to the end. I think we're coming to the end of the show for this week. But what I wanted to do before we go is if our listeners were made up of people just starting their journey as a quantity surveyor or any of the roles we've discussed in the construction industry, what advice would you give them either to help them achieve their goals faster or to assist them in being just a much better version of themselves? Yeah, well, for students, particularly university students like myself, I think it's key to engage as much as you can with what the university can offer. University is not just your modules and your weekly lectures and your exams. <clears throat> I know in my case, anyway, the University of Salford, they do offer a lot more than that. Uh, the careers fairs almost weekly, it seems. So it's engaging with all, all of these things that they put on and realising try and get an understanding of what is best for you and what stage you're, you are at. Get as much conversation as you can with people who have experienced what you are about to experience. Um, and that helps, again, get an understanding of what is best for you. Um, and then when, when you're ready, after the year or two that you've had studying, just get yourself in the industry and get the, the real-life experience to go hand-in-hand hand with your studies. Because for me, personally, it has had a huge positive impact for both my studies and my understanding of what is expected of me. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you to Damien Campbell, one of our assistant quantity surveyors, for being a guest on the show today, which was created and produced by Intelligent FS. Next week, we're hoping for a lively debate as we put Rob Munns, head of sales for BFT Mass Climbing in the room, with Marcus McCarthy, our operations manager to discuss the pros and cons of mass climbing versus scaffolding, the costs, speed, safety and inevitable impact on the lives of residents undergoing cladding remediation works. If you enjoyed our podcast today and think it would be useful for someone else, please do leave us a rating on podchaser.com and together we really can make Britain's buildings safe and sustainable.